Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Gabriel Jaja, producer. In this episode, Eric Cohn, Acton's Director of Communications, sits down with Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen, an online multi-season TV series depicting the life of Jesus. Later in this episode, Cohn interviews Jonathan Rumi, the actor who portrays Jesus. The Chosen is the largest crowdfunded media project of all time. According to the Chosen website, season two was fully funded in November 2020. This time, over 100,000 people contributed a total of $10 million. Season three is over 90% crowdfunded. This has been achieved completely outside of the Hollywood system with no plans of ever being sold to a major studio. You can find additional resources in the show notes of this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. If you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act in Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Dallas Jenkins, son of celebrated left-behind author Jerry Jenkins, first produced the independent feature Hometown Legend at the age of 25 and shepherded it to distribution by Warner Brothers. In the nearly 20 years since then, he has directed and produced over a dozen feature and short films for companies such as Universal, Lionsgate, Pureflix, Hallmark Channel, and Amazon. His most recent film, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, released in theaters in 2017. He is now directing and producing the largest crowdfunded media project of all time, a multi-season series about the life of Christ entitled The Chosen, which we'll be discussing today. Dallas Jenkins, welcome to Acton Line. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate this. So for the making of The Chosen, I would ask generally, like, you know, um, why make this show? I mean, I think the, in part, the answer that is obvious, right, to tell this story, but how did you come about wanting to tackle telling the story of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus in this serialized way? What inspired you to that? Well, I did a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. It was filmed on my friend's farm in Illinois, 20 minutes from my house. And it was 18 minutes long. And I love the story of Christmas. I love the nativity story from the gospels. I've heard it a hundred times, of course, and have told it many times. But what we decided to do was to tell it from the perspective of the shepherds. And so you see the shepherds that morning, you know, taking the lambs for slaughter to uh, the, to Bethlehem, to the marketplace. And um, we used cultural context, historical context, all of the things that we knew were taking place during that time, um, as well as just human, just, you know, human interaction, you know, the creativity about what um, they as human beings would have been doing during that time and how they, what would it have been like sitting around the campfire on that night that the angels appeared to the shepherds? What would, what would they have been talking about? That kind of stuff. And I felt like in 18 minutes in that short film, I learned more about the, the, the nativity and had more of a profound experience than I ever had before. And then when we showed people the short film, they were just, the response was overwhelming. It felt this concept of telling the stories we've heard um, over and over, but from a fresh perspective without changing 
the character and intentions of Jesus and the gospels just felt like really a great opportunity and a, and a, and a great way to kind of re-engage and reignite passion for uh, the gospels. And while I was doing that, I thought, you know, there's been movies and miniseries about the life of Christ. There's never actually been a multi-season show. And the thing about multi-season shows that's unique and that draws me in so much and that makes me want to binge watch or go from season to season is the characters. I I want to know, I get to, to take the time to get to know the characters. I get, I, the, the, the filmmakers get to take the time to set up the moments properly as opposed to rushing it in, in, in a 90 minute movie. And so all of that just made me think, boy, that could be an extraordinary opportunity in a multi-season show to really dig into these stories and these people more than has ever been done before. And so that's where the concept of this multi-season idea came from, was just the ability to not have to rush and for you to get to know the people who experience these miracles or even the enemies of Jesus before they encountered Jesus so that when those moments from the Gospels happen, they're even that much more impactful. Yeah, I imagine you also feel that you benefit from this uh, golden age of television that we're living in, right? So even you talked about how you have to rush into things in a 90-minute movie. I mean, it also used to be true that in a television series, right, you know, the first episode's the pilot, and you introduce all of the characters very, very quickly. And I think one of the great things about television right now and about your series as well is you don't have to tell everything that everyone needs to know about that character right in the very beginning of the show. And you learn organically who these people are just the way that you actually do in life. When you meet someone, you find a little bit out about them. And the longer you spend time with them, the more you get to know them and then thus identify with them. That's that's extraordinarily well said. And, and it's absolutely true. And um, it's one of the things that caused people when they watched the first episode, um, some people, especially uh, hardcore Christians were almost confused because of what they they were expecting a traditional Bible story, and they were expecting to know right away who the people were and what Bible verse this particular storyline was from. And and in the first episode, we take the time to introduce you to their to their cultural context, the historical context, their relationships, their needs, their questions, their struggles, um, all of which isn't in the Bible, but it but it but it was real. It happened. Now maybe not factually all of the specific storylines we chose, but we know that this is a plausible telling of what their lives were like. And so the good news is that once people watched the first episode, um, it made what happened at the end of the episode, it made what happened later in the season infinitely more impactful than if we had rushed through it. Now, for some people, though, it was a challenge of going, All right, that first episode or first two episodes felt like a slow burn to me because you know, I was, it just took time introducing you to these people. And I just try to remind people, well, that's how every show is. Um, you know, there's a handful of shows that right off the bat, they just put you right in the middle of, of action, like 24 or Breaking Bad. But most shows take their time and, and you just kind of get to know the people and even who they are over the course of an episode or two. And that's what we, we did with The Chosen. So while it might have been different for some people expecting a Bible program, um, I think from pure storytelling and for those of us who love like you said, this golden age of television, I think it was was uh, was even more profound. For someone called to make a program like this, how, you know, you, you have the passion for the project, clearly, but how daunting did it seem to you at the outset to tell this story, right? You know, if you look around 
storytelling culture, whether it be movies or television, especially when you're translating a book into a movie or a TV series, and you can watch you know the commentary that goes on about you know deviations from the source material and the little things. You know, I just saw Dune and watching all the conversations around the little changes that you have to make to tell a story like that on a big screen. I mean, you are dealing with you know source material that is held with incredible importance for the obvious reason. It's the Bible. It's the story of the life of Jesus Christ. How, um, you know, I guess in, in every challenge like that, there's great opportunity. But how, uh, how did that feel to you at the beginning of approaching coming up with a creative telling and filling those gaps in for the parts that aren't in the text that connect it as a story? Yeah, especially as someone in myself who loves the Bible and believes it's God's word and doesn't believe that anything needs to be changed, um, which is what I think happens a lot of times with certain Bible projects that aren't biblically faithful. They come from a filmmaker who isn't necessarily a believer and is just trying to tell, say something new, say something different for the sake of it. Um, so I, I remember I was in Israel in 2017 uh, doing research for the show and trying to immerse myself in the places Jesus was, Jesus, uh, the places he walked. And I'd never been there before. And I remember I was in Magdala, which is uh, Mary Magdalene's birthplace. And I really felt the presence of God. And I, I felt like God really reached into my heart and laid very powerfully and explicitly on my heart um, that in several years, um, when people think of the followers of Jesus, my portrayal is what they're going to think of in terms of the, 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 when they read the gospels or when they think of like, a, have a visual in their mind of, of Jesus's followers, they're going to picture the people from the chosen. And I'm not going to let you screw it up. Now, I don't know for, I, I, I'm not going to write in stone that that was God's voice. Who, who can ever know for sure? I, I, I feel confident because of course, what he said proved to be true, which is that, <laughs> Uh, within a couple of years now, people say all over the world that when they're reading the Bible or when they're thinking of Jesus's followers, the picture they have in their head is, is that of the chosen, which previously Jesus's followers didn't have a, kind of a, a visual identity. Um, there wasn't a, a kind of a distinctive movie that you thought of or a portrayal or that, that came to your mind when you thought of Simon Peter or Mary Magdalene. So the reason I'm sharing all this with you is because that in my, in many ways, um, I don't know, it took some pressure off. I, 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 of course, feel the weight to get it right. I, of course, want every single thing that I do in the show to be plausible. Um, if, if not factual, I want it to be plausible and to capture the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels. I never want to violate that. Um, but I can't worry about the audience reaction. I can't worry about offending people. I mean, every day I, I'm publicly accused of being a blasphemer or, um, you know, uh, a liar or, you know, I'm violating scripture or something like that. Um, every, people do videos about it. Um, and also every day I'm, I'm told that the chosen changed their life and, and they think I'm the greatest. And, and neither one of those things can motivate me. I can't think about any of them when I'm sitting in front of a blank page. So I don't feel pressure uh, to get it right for the sake of the audience. I feel pressure to get it right for the sake of God uh, and, and making sure that I'm honoring Jesus's life and, and his followers. And even his enemies, I feel, I, I, I feel like I want, when I get to heaven, you know, these people to say, you know, thank you, 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 you honored us, um, you know, 
that, that's not the outfit that I wore, but but you were close. And so um, that that would be amazing. And that that's that's what motivates me, not uh, worrying about audience reaction. Can you tell me about the creative process for putting these episodes together? Because what one of the things that has struck me is when you read the Bible, you think about these people as these characters in a story. Um, but you may not connect with them on as clear a, a, of a human level, right? Because as, as we just mentioned, you know, you're filling in gaps in between the actual Bible verses in terms of conversations that these people may have had. And, and one of the things that's really struck me about the series is how uh, believable the dialogue is. And something just as a fan of entertainment, uh, television shows and movies, how quickly bad dialogue and not believable dialogue can take you out of a story because you just, you think in your mind, nobody talks to each other like that. And one of the things that struck me about the series is the conversations are believable. The emotions are believable. The motivations are are believable. So t- tell me about that creative process to really get in the minds of the people whose story you're telling that are also people that, you know, their names that in you know all over the world people are familiar with. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the whole thing. That's the secret sauce. That's the, the, what's, you know, literally was written on the wall uh, on a on a whiteboard um when we, when my co-writers and I first gathered to plot out the show and come up with who the main characters are, and we even wrote, you know, what are the chosen rules? And the first and foremost was we err on the side of the human and the real. Um, authenticity is our number one trait that we pursue both in the show and in my relationship with the fans and our live streams and all of that. So um, as, as we're writing, um, I'm, you know, even like just from speaking for myself, when I'm writing on my laptop dialogue scene, I'm saying it out loud and I'm, I'm saying, how does this sound? Does this sound like a real a human being? Um, it's, I think it's more important for this show than almost any show um, that, that I've ever been a part of or any show that I watch because it's, because if we don't get that right, then the, the purpose of the show is lost. So some shows, the purpose isn't about kind of reintroducing you to humanity. You know, some shows are very, uh, the dialogue is, 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 is beautiful, but it's Shakespearean or it's melodramatic. Or if you, you know, you think of like Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, I don't know that that's always necessarily realistic unless every single person in the country was at, had an IQ of 150 and, and, and had a command of history and could talk rapid fire. Aaron Sorkin's uh, dialogue to me is always, it's the things that you wish you would have said in the moment that yes. you think of afterwards, but nobody yeah. ever thinks of in the moment. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I mean, it's Aaron Sorkin is a transcendent genius, but um, the purpose of The Chosen is to correct and overcome the hurdles of how we typically approach the stories of Jesus. It's typically formal. It's typically, um, you know, visually it's on a stained glass window or a statue or a painting. Um, and, or it's, it's when you're reading it, even the purposes of the gospels were not to capture authentic human dialogue. The purpose of the gospels were to give Jesus his greatest hits so that you believe that Jesus was the son of God to prove that he was the son of God. So they're not, they're writing kind of Jesus's main teachings. And there's very few kind of natural human authentic I don't want to say, of course, they're all authentic, but I mean, they're natural human conversations. You never even see, you never even see a greeting. You know, you don't even see anyone saying hi, you know, uh, uh, or asking, you know, how's it going today? I mean, none of that's in the gospels. 
Uh, it, that wasn't the purpose. So my approach, I, I want you to, to, to approach the show and to have an experience with the show for the express purpose of, of, of believing this really happened. These were real people. Jesus himself was a human being. He laughed with his friends. He danced at weddings. He, um, you know, dressed his own wound. He made his own food. He, all of these things that he experienced, that is a very, very important part of the show. And uh, because the genre of this show is so usually different. So that's why we, we spend so much time on getting it real and, and that's why we even have scenes that sometimes don't even drive the plot. They're just so you get to know the characters better so that when they experience these gospel moments, it feels even more relatable. Talk to me about the the beginning part of the making of the show, of course, and, and for anyone who follows you know, Hollywood movies or television is financing. And one of the unique things about your show is that it is crowdfunded. When you had the, the calling to make this program, did you think initially that that was the route that you would go in order to finance the program? Or was it a, you know, approach it through the normal way that television shows and movies often get made through studios and with that kind of funding? Was that ever on the table? Or did was this, you know, revolution that we've had in the way that individual people can invest in ideas like this? the first thing that was on your mind? Oh, uh, yeah, no, it was not the first thing on my mind. It was, I never thought it was going to work. Um, when I had the idea for the show, um, I did think to myself, whatever streaming platform or network, if, if one of them committed to doing this, it would, if I, if I accomplished a good show, if I, if I made a good show, if this show turned out high quality, I did believe it, if, for example, if it was on Netflix, it would be huge. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, so it was just like, you know, someone, so, you know, if, if someone decided to make this uh, on a, on a, pl on a big platform, it would, it, I think people would love, love, love to see it. Um, but it was such a, a non uh, likely thing. I mean, it was just, I was coming off of a big career failure. My movie had bombed at the box office. I didn't know if I had a future in this business. Um, I didn't think, I didn't care if I did or not. I was just focused on doing what God wanted me to do. And I was working on this short film for my church. When a, when a mutual friend of a streaming platform, this very small streaming platform, um, a mutual friend got my short film in their hands and they said, we want to raise the money through crowdfunding. Um, I thought it was ridiculous. And uh, I didn't think it was going to work. And worst case scenario, it doesn't work. And maybe I have a chance to present it to a streaming platform at some point. But I don't know. I just didn't think I wasn't thinking ahead, really. Um, and then uh, so but I just thought, all right, well, can't hurt to try. Let's see what happens. And uh, and then, of course, you know, it ended up shattering the all time crowdfunding record for media projects. And and people just went crazy for it. Uh, and all based on this little short film I did for my church. And then we just put out on social media. So from the beginning, this whole thing has been what we call impossible math. Um, something that I, we believe God said to my wife, you know, early on as I do impossible math. We didn't know what it meant at the time. And it's just proven over and over again, not only in the crowdfunding, but then once we decided to make the show free, the day that we made the show completely free, we quadrupled our income. None of that makes sense. I'm just, on, I'm just along for the ride. What, uh, did, did you feel also freed creatively by that 
means of funding the program, right? So, you know, if you're funded in a more traditional way, you know, you've got the uh, the studio heads and people higher up who want to, you know, everybody who's a fan of movies knows of at least one movie they love that they know the studio execs got involved and they mucked something up because they got involved. But because you've got investors who on an individual level have put their money in it because they believe in your vision for it, how freeing creatively is that to you? Yeah, that was one of the attractive things about the idea, even though I didn't think the idea would work. One of the things we said to potential investors, you know, because that's what this was, this wasn't a donation for season one, it was actual investment. Um, And then what we say to people who pay it forward, because the show is free now, and when they pay it forward um, to allow it to remain free and to allow us to finance future episodes and seasons, um, it's not an investment anymore for them, it's just literally a contribution um, that, that they're doing just as their optional payment. I say this gives us freedom. Uh, you can now trust or 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 put your faith in, or that, you know, know that that this is in my hands. Um, that I don't answer to studio execs who might not believe what you believe and who might have a different motivation for doing the show. So that's why we do so much behind the scenes stuff, and why I'm doing live streams all the time, and why I talk to the viewers, you know, on a near daily basis. Uh, because I want them to trust and know that that, uh, that that this is that we have the creative freedom to be faithful to the text and to make sure that this is done right. Um, you know, I, one of the things I said was, uh, you know, Hollywood's golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules, and uh, we want to make our own rules with this show so that we're not uh, we can't be canceled. Um, we, we we can't be forced to change something just to appease a certain group of people, and that is a huge. I think not only a gift to me, but I think the fan, it's, it's one of the huge reasons the fans trust the show. As a believing Christian, obviously, this is a story that you're familiar with because it is, you know, it's, it's the word of God. It is your faith written down. As you've been through the process of making this show, has there, is there any part of the story that you've come to have a greater appreciation for or understanding of through the process of translating it from gospel verse into television show? Yeah, for sure. The, the intimacy of Jesus is what's really hit me harder than anything. And my wife, who, who's primarily responsible for our extra content, like our Bible studies and devotional books and children's books, um, as we really feel responsible for what we're sharing with with readers and and viewers of the show is that Jesus was a a God of the intimate and the personal. Uh, He wasn't just getting up on stage doing magic tricks for thousands of people to impress everybody. He was meeting people where they were at. Um, You know, he was Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, He was experiencing what we were experiencing, but every, every miracle that we portray in the show and every uh, encounter that that Jesus has when he calls people to follow him, uh, we we believe that he he tailored it to their individual needs, and we believe that's still true today. That that, that the God of the universe wants a personal relationship with you, um, in, in, within the the context of how he created you. That there's not just some statue or church organization that you have to. Aspire to to be allowed into, or you don't you don't necessarily have to approach yourself and try to achieve something to get there. He's coming to you, 
And he's coming to you with the knowledge of who you are specifically. And that's what he did when he was here. And that's what we're trying to portray in the show. So when this episode of our podcast comes out, it'll be uh, uh, two interviews and one episode, because we're also going to talk to Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus. Uh, so I, I want to ask you, and I'll ask a similar question to him, uh, the kind of inverse of the question to him. Um, you know, when you're casting for a television show, like finding the right people to play the characters in the show is incredibly important. And boy, I can't imagine uh, a bigger casting decision for a show than casting who will play Jesus Christ. Can you talk about Jonathan and talk about, um, you know, the the choice of Jonathan for this role? Yeah. So Jonathan was actually the easiest casting choice we made and the quickest because I'd actually worked with Jonathan before on portraying Jesus. Uh, That decision was made on a much smaller scale with much smaller stakes seven or eight years ago when um, I was doing a short film for my church's Good Friday service about the crucifixion, but it was from the perspective of the two thieves. And so I was casting the two thieves who who took up the bulk of the, the screen time, and Jonathan auditioned for one of the thieves and did a great job, but there were two other guys that I thought were better for the roles, and all of the people who were auditioning for Jesus were were just not great at all. Um, and I'm like, well, I do need, even though Jesus is only on screen for a few minutes, I do need to get this right. And I thought Jonathan did a really good you know, audition. I'd be, cur- I'd be curious how he does as Jesus. And within 10 seconds of his audition, I just thought, oh my goodness. I mean, this is, and I'm sure you experienced this when you watched the show. Um, it, it, it really does have this almost transcendent experience. I mean, uh, portrayal. I, I, don't, I don't know. Part of it's, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant actor. So that's, I don't want to take that away from him, of course. But there also does seem to be something more happening um, that God has just kind of anointed this portrayal. And, uh, and then when we were filming it, um, I, I was watching it, um, you know, it, when, when, he, when he was on the cross. And I just thought, this is, this is the best portrayal of Jesus I've ever seen. Um, and it's just a couple minutes. And so we started doing that more. Every year, we, I would do short films or vignettes for my church and always brought Jonathan back for it. And uh, that gave us a lot of time to kind of explore what we wanted to do uh, with the character, as it were, um, and uh, what we were trying to to tell people about Jesus. And uh, so that when it came time to have the opportunity to do the show, uh, he was the first person cast and the easiest decision made. Tell me about the reactions that you've gotten from fans of the show. I mean, I'm sure you you, you, know, you talk to the people who've watched the show, you get feedback on that. You know, what is what has that been like? Um, you know, what has surprised you the most in the feedback that you've gotten from people who've watched the program? The most surprising thing, I think, would be the walls that have broken down um, in the audiences who watch the show. So I, I honestly didn't have any expectations for anything. I mean, I really, I really am in a place in my life spiritually and professionally where I just don't make predictions. I don't expect much. But um, I will say that if you would have asked me at the time to predict something, I wouldn't have predicted that children would like the show. Um, teenagers, and I, I hope teenagers would like it because it's, I thought it was, it was far more re- relatable than most Bible projects that, I, that I'd seen. But I didn't expect kids as young as six, seven, and eight years old to be binge watching the show. That's been a shock. Um, I didn't expect Catholics and, and LDS folks and Greek Orthodox and to, to to love the show as much as evangelicals love the show, because I'm an evangelical. And so the show comes from that lens. Now, when you focus on the stories of Jesus, you find there's actually not a ton of difference of opinion about Jesus and these stories of the gospels. The theological differences seem to come after Jesus was here. 
but uh, the, the, I think the biggest difference is probably our, our our viewpoint on Mary. But I guess I just didn't expect this much passion from other faith traditions that I'm not a part of and how this show seems to have broken down those walls. And it also seems to be breaking through uh, cultural uh, differences and walls. Um, you know, people in, in third world countries, people in countries that um, just are very different culturally from America and from my culture and my faith background um, are something is happening where it's just piercing through that, that wall. And, and they're just having an experience with the show. That's, that's extraordinary. And that's, it's actually what is easy. To, it, it reminds me, and it's easy to remember that, that, that I'm, I'm not this good, you know, that, that, that God, God's doing something bigger than I'm capable of with the show. And that's just been fun to watch. For people in positions in entertainment who may be watching this phenomenon, what do you think it reveals about the market that exists out there for uh, not only explicitly uh, Christian programming like this, but also just programming that more um, faithfully and honestly and realistically represents people of religious faith. I mean, we could point to plenty of examples in popular culture where, you know, you have the clearly typecasted Christian character within a TV show or a movie um, that just is not representative of the people that you know. It's not representative of the people that I know. It's a bad caricature. Um, And just a, I would say that from my observance of it, that there's a seems to be a perspective that you can point to obvious examples like the Passion of the Christ where people didn't think that it would be able to succeed. And you you have people like you and like Mel Gibson in that care in, in that instance who have difficult times. You, you did it had thankfully to the internet had an entirely different way of financing a project like this. Um but you know I know of other people who want to tell those kinds of stories, right? That run up against the idea that people seem to think like this will never work. And you have these clear examples of well, it does. Uh, so what do, what do you think this reveals about the market and the appetite for storytelling that's either explicitly Christian, like in this case, or just a, a more honest representation of people of faith and faith in our lives? Well, I think I think the answer is in many ways in the question, which is that when you're authentic uh, in your portrayal, that it, it, it resonates so much more. And I think that um, both Christians and non-Christians have not always done a good job at this. So you've got Christians telling stories about their faith that are oftentimes glossing over reality, glossing over the the, the experiences before their encounters with Jesus, um, trying to be safe, trying to, especially in Bible projects, sometimes you've got it where you're 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 trying so hard to be safe and and careful that. Um, it d- doesn't even it just doesn't even feel like a real show it, it, or a real portrayal. And then you've got the opposite side where it's you know maybe some executives or filmmakers who aren't believers and they're trying to make a statement about something they're trying to change something or they're portraying what they believe Christians are and uh, neither neither side gets it right most of the time. But when you are authentic and you are trying to tell the truth artistically and um, and accurately as much as possible, seems to be um, that it it brings out an audience that is desperate for it, and they become true evangelists for it. I mean, uh, the, the Chosen isn't the only example of this, but it's, it's currently proving this point, which is that um, you can reach a wide audience 
when they believe that you are being authentic to their lives and to the to the portrayal of the people that they love or or in the case of Jesus worship um and and they not only are happy to support it they they become frantic about it i mean i people it's it just, it's, it, it's so, it's like water to, to in a parched land, um, for them. And so, uh, it, I wish it wasn't as rare as it is. And, and I think my, my doing the show is in many ways a response to that. I think it's a, I have not, I'm not seeing this enough. Therefore I want to try to do it. And, uh, I didn't know that it would have this kind of response, but I, I, I thought if, if nothing else, it's something that I really would want to watch and I would be passionate about and it seems to be resonating. Dallas, final question, and probably the most important one, how and where can people watch The Chosen? <laughs> yes, I would say that's the first step in uh, in having this experience. Well, uh, The Chosen it's on, is on its own app. Um, it's also on a website. So you can either go to thechosen.tv, www.thechosen.tv, or you just download the app in the in wherever you get your apps for your phone. Now, you might be thinking, I don't wanna watch the show on my phone. Um, and I agree with you. I don't either. So uh, our partners invented this technology that allows you to cast directly to your streaming device. So you download the chosen app. It's free and easy. doesn't even require an email address. You can go to your Roku, your Apple TV, your Fire Stick, your Chromecast. You can go to someone else's streaming devices and connect directly to them and watch it free and easy. It doesn't require a signup. It doesn't require a dime. Um, it doesn't require an email address, like I said. Uh, so it's actually quite free and easy to watch. And uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, that's how you do it. Dallas Jenkins is the director and producer of the largest crowdfunded media project of all time, the multi-season series about the life of Jesus Christ entitled The Chosen. Dallas Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us today on Act in Line. I'm so glad to have been with you, and I love what you guys do. Jonathan Rumi is an actor, director, producer, and speaker best known for his award-winning role as Jesus in the groundbreaking series and global sensation, The Chosen. He has also appeared in several internationally watched network and cable TV series, including Chicago Med, The Mindy Project, The Good Wife, The Newsroom, Law & Order, and the NCIS franchise, among others. Jonathan also serves as strategic advisor to Hallow, one of the largest prayer and meditation apps in the world, and serves as VP on the board of two nonprofit entertainment media companies. Jonathan has been featured on Fox News, EWTN, and CBN, as well as The Hollywood Reporter, Film Threat, The Christian Post, and many more. He reaches a combined social media following of over a quarter million followers. Jonathan Rumi, welcome to Act in Line. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. My first question for you is, uh, tell me about how you became, how you came to be involved with this project, The Chosen. Um, yes, so almost uh, next spring, it will be eight years that I first met Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen. I got cast here in Los Angeles to play Jesus in a short film that he was doing for his church's Easter service, his Good Friday service uh, film, um, or the, the Good Friday, they, do, they have a Good Friday service. And then at that service, you have a bunch of different uh, forms of worship and media and, and people singing, and, and, and then they would show his film. And uh, the name of the film is called The Two Thieves, and I played Jesus uh, in this story about the two thieves that are crucified along either side of Christ. And it's sort of an origin story as to how they ended up there. Um, very much in, in the vein of what people have come to know from the extra biblical approach to uh, the chosen and the stuff that's 
not quite written about in scriptures, but um, through, you know, scriptural inference and, um, you know, historical uh, probability, it, it became a, a very plausible scenario as to um, who those guys could have been and uh, why they were there. So that's that's how I first met Dallas. And then we did two more projects uh, for his church's Easter service over the next three years. And then about a year and a half after that, uh, he called me up and asked me if I wanted to play Jesus in this, what would be this four episode at the time uh, series or uh, with hopes of making more episodes. And of course, I just said, yeah, when when do I put on the sandals again? Tell me a little about your career uh, as an actor prior to uh, doing the show. So before the show, I had first started working in the area of voiceover uh, in uh, animation 20 years prior, actually, to the year. Um, the first job I ever did was was for uh, a TV show for MTV called Celebrity Deathmatch, where these clay celebrities would... Uh, you know, fight each other to the death in a ring, um, this claymation. And uh, it was it was kind of a, a cult hit for MTV and went for several seasons and then got canceled and then got resuscitated a couple of times more. Um, but yeah, so that's how I first started. And then I did a bunch of uh, commercials uh, in New York City, which is where, I, where I'm from and where, where I recorded uh, Celebrity Deathmatch. And then I started getting to, into films uh, all while I was working as a location scout in in uh, in the film industry uh, in New York, and then right around the time of the financial collapse, I, I made the decision to move to Los Angeles and to see if I could give this thing a go full time, as it were, and moved out in 2010, and uh, essentially started from scratch and tried to you know build my uh, relationships uh, one at a time and, and do my small little bit parts in TV shows that became bigger parts in, in TV shows and variety of network shows to um, cable stuff and, and uh, or streaming like for Hulu. Um, I still did a lot of voiceover. Uh, I still do voiceover now. Currently it's when I'm not filming on camera, I'm usually working in voiceover um, and uh, yeah, small parts and, decent sized films and um, plays. I did a bunch of plays here in, in Los Angeles. And I think, I think I, I feel like I pretty well paid my dues coming into the chosen. So how do you go about as an actor preparing to play well, a role in general, but mm. going about preparing to play Jesus Christ in a show like the chosen? What is that process look like for you? Well, playing Jesus Christ uh, in any of the instances that I have had the opportunity to do that previously uh, is, is unlike any other approach to any other character that I've played. Um, in that, I, I, uh, I mean, technically, from a craft perspective, uh, I, I don't approach them the same. With Jesus, my process really begins with prayer. Um, I, I pray an awful lot about how to approach the role, how to uh, interpret the scenes that we're filming and, and um, ask for, for guidance and, and uh, for the Holy Spirit to kind of be with me on the day and to show up and, and inspire me in a way that um, I couldn't 
inspire myself or derive any human sort of inspiration. And uh, I, I mostly try to stay out of the way of that performance. Um, I try to mostly just be let whatever bit of my humanity um, God wishes to use in, in the role. I, I, I kind of start with that. Um, and everything else uh, is kind of up to him. Um, other characters, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for a movie now where uh, also a historical character um, uh, lived in the, in the 60s and the 70s. And so there's pictures of him, there's reference of him, there's video of him. So I'm, I'm going through that stuff and kind of seeing the way he speaks and trying to analyze um, what what part of him is is uh, the essentially um, the, the genesis of what, how his character should sound coming through my interpretation of it, um, how he moved. Um, sometimes you use things like clothes and, and, and jewelry and stuff like that when you put it on and, or you grow out your hair, which I'm, I'm growing out more now. Um, it, it sort of just gives you a different feel and it makes you behave differently. So every character is different. Um, but with Jesus, it's, it's, you know, yes, there's an accent that, that I employ. Um, but, uh, other than that, uh, and, and, and the costume, um, I try to, I try to keep it really, really simple. And, um, I think it's, uh, people have responded to that. So I guess, I guess, uh, I'm hopefully in the right vein of what, uh, God wants me to be doing with this role. Yeah, I think and the writing is great. You know, so I mean that that you when you have great writing, it makes your job so much easier. And um, this is, I mean, obviously being inspired by the greatest story ever told. Uh, Dallas and Ryan and, and Tyler, who who collectively write the series, are phenomenal writers. And Dallas is a great director. Yeah, what one of the things that strikes me about the show in watching it, and I talked to Dallas about this as well, is how believable the characters are and how it adds mm. such a third dimension to stories that you know we know so well and you know there's of course there's the bridge material right because it, it, you're 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 developing characters as the show goes along by showing conversations that aren't you know in the gospel but nonetheless right. we're imagining the kind of conversations that might have taken place and what what strikes me about the show is how believable the conversations and the dialogue and the characters are um you know in in your work in the craft of acting you know how do you think about you know that kind of you've, you've got the source material and then translating it into what you know in my opinion is such a believable and thus the kind of performance and story that I think you really can connect with? I think, you know, bringing the vernacular into the modern day, um, while for some people it has been kind of unexpected and jarring, um, overwhelmingly people have seen it as an opportunity to, to connect and to see themselves in the stories of the apostles and their encounters with Jesus, thus allowing us as viewers to say, wow, maybe this is this, maybe this is the relationship that I can have with Jesus. Maybe this is how he would see me and what he might say to me if, if I, you know, if he were here today in the 21st century. Um, and, and I think, I think that's important. I think it, when you think about biblical translations, like, you know, when you go to the King James version and, and, and try to, you know, read uh, that translation of the Bible, 
it was very, very different, but people spoke very differently. You know, their, their understanding of English uh, was very, very different from ours. And, and through the evolution of, of time and history uh, and language, um, we're trying to find the most relevant and relatable uh, language that people today can be affected by when hearing these stories that are are timeless. So, um, you know, I would just I would just think of it as a, a very modern take or translation of these ancient stories, but not in a way that feels incongruous to what was happening. You know, um, it, it it feels I don't know why it feels relatable, but it it just happens to make um, these stories much more accessible when we've modernized it in that way. Through playing this role and being on this program, has there been any particular part of the gospel story that you have connected with in a different way by being involved in portraying it uh, in you know, a visual medium like for television? You know, I think... I think just having just having fresh perspectives on the apostles, um, the disciples, knowing that there's so much that we can identify with, like you know, for instance, Thomas is somebody that I identify with a lot. Not where we currently have him in the story in the series, but where he gets to after the crucifixion, before and after the crucifixion. And there's a phrase that comes to mind for me: "I believe, Lord, help my unbelief." And it's, I think it's something where, especially when we talk about miracles and needing to see God working in our lives and myself included, you know, especially three months or so prior to being cast in the chosen, having God um, turn my own life around in a very obvious, miraculous, for lack of a better term, way, um, it's even having seen God's providence and even reading about the disciples being witnesses to, to Jesus's miracles. And, and just, I mean, the whole history of, of the Jewish people, God would do these great things. And then a few years later, they would forget that he did these things and they would lose faith. And then he would do something greater. And then they would be like, it's almost, it's like this, this, um, uh, you know, memory amnesia like sets in. And it's like, we, we kind of need this constant reminder um, for ourselves. Um, unfortunately that, that, you know, God is who he says he is and he does these things. And yet we still forget and are act so fallibly human and uh, are in need of, of his compassion and mercy um, because we, 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 we take a lot for granted, even after he's shown us the, the, his great power and providence. And, and uh, you know, I can especially relate to that. And, and needing to have more faith is something that, uh, that I'm always asking for. You know, um, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Um, well, I think that, I yeah. think that's good. I, you mentioned in there an experience of God turning, having an effect in your life three months before being cast in this, would, would you be willing to share something about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I'd be happy to. And, and uh, funny enough, I, I 
had the opportunity when I was in Rome this summer, um, speaking at the Acton Institute to, to share this story with many people, but with a, a smaller audience there. Um, so a few more people might get to hear this, but uh, I had moved to Los Angeles eight years prior to this moment in um, May of 2018 and just found myself struggling. I uh, found myself trying to juggle six or seven different side hustles and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get anything to stick with any sort of consistency and I couldn't figure out why. And I had been prayerful and faithful and constantly asking God to, you know, take this desire to act away from me if this wasn't what he wanted me to do, uh, which is what I had kind of surmised at that point because I wasn't making a consistent living at it. I was getting jobs here and there, but I was still struggling. And I got to the point in 2018 where I woke up one morning on a Saturday, um, $100 overdrafted. I had $20 in my pocket. I had enough food to last literally to the end of the day. And I had a, a, a mountain of bills coming due that following week and beyond. And I hadn't worked in two or three weeks. So I had no ostensible income showing up in the mail at, in any time, any time in the near future. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was literally at my wits end and I didn't have anywhere else to go except on my knees in front of a crucifix where I poured out my heart to God and, and just, you know, I, I entreated upon him and I pleaded and I just, you know, I was, I was just uh, beside myself wondering how it had got to this point. And, you know, I, I I, I literally, this is all of, I vocalized this entire conversation. I said, you know, Lord, I've been asking for years to take this away. If you think there's something else that I should be doing, which you never have, you've been silent and I don't understand why. And, you know, I thought the Lord helps those who help themselves. And then I realized three years later, well, that's not actually in the Bible. It's more like the Lord helps those who rely on him and ask for his help and cry out for his help in the way that I was that day. And I, then I started throwing back scripture and I said, you know, you said, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give your souls rest for my yoke is easy and my burdens light. And I said, you know what, God, take mine. There you go, Jesus. Have some of my burden because I, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm tapping out. I surrender. I have no, nowhere else to go. And so now I'm going to give it to you and you have to show me where to go in order for me to survive because there's no other way for me to do this. So I'm going to give it to you. And I surrendered. And I left my house that morning. Probably took a walk around the block, maybe spent some of the money that I had left on breakfast and um, came back in the early part of the afternoon and went to the mailbox. And in the mail, there were, there were four checks in the box just sitting there. And I was staring at the mailbox and I said, what is that? And I took it out and there were indeed, it was clearly four checks. And I, I was so shocked that I, I went upstairs to, to my apartment. I sat on the bed and I put my phone on the bed and turned on my camera function. And I decided to memorialize this moment for a couple of reasons. Number one, to make sure that I wasn't delusional and number two, for posterity to, to, to have proof that God was, clearly doing something that moment in my life. And I pressed record and I opened the checks and 
each one of them was bigger than the one before. And they were from these, just these, this, these disparate sources of, of income that I had, like one of them, I think was a, a, a TV show that I had done years ago. And through the, the residual payment system through the union, you would get like a little bits of money here and there every three to six months. Well, I think one of these companies hadn't paid me anything in like five years. And they're like, oh, we forgot to pay you. Here's a check, you know? And uh, I was, I was floored. And I just wept as I opened these checks and, and realized how powerful God really was in my life at that time, how much he actually had me taken care of, how much he was looking after me and, and needed to drive me or needed me to drive myself to the point where all I could do, all I had left was to rely on him and his goodness and his promise. And when I finally handed over the reins, when I finally let go and allowed him into my career, I had allowed him into other parts of my life. But when it came to my career, I figured I knew what was best because I was the actor living in Hollywood in Los Angeles. I knew what to do. I didn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother God with the details on, on that. So, um, but, but that's, I mean, he's probably, I should have relied on him from the get-go, but he, I feel that in hindsight, he needed to bring me to that place so that I would have no other ways or people or options um, or avenues to go down other than to choose him and to completely surrender myself to him. And when I did, he showed up in a way that defies logic. And, uh, and from that point on, uh, I, I've never, I've never stressed about um, finances or work in, in the same way. And then three months later, uh, Dallas called me and says, Hey, I think we're going to be doing a series. You want to put the sandals back on? So I said, Absolutely. And I've still struggled. You know, I still struggled. It didn't stop struggling. Surrender doesn't mean you just don't have any problems. It means you, when you do have the problems, you know where to go and you know who's going to help you take care of them. And um, yeah, and so I, that's that's been my approach um, ever since. And, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm traveling around the world talking about this experience and, and talking to people about Jesus and meeting people who's literally whose lives have been changed or saved in one person. And I don't mean that just spiritually. I mean, physically people that have, were on the verge of committing suicide were in, had encountered Christ through this show and decided not to kill themselves and live to tell about it to myself and to Dallas, like a year later saying this show saved my life quite literally. So it's been profound and, and nothing I ever do will compare to, to the impact that the show's having. Thank you so much for sharing that. What does the success of this show and the way that it is connected with so many people, you're, you know, living in, in Los Angeles, working in Hollywood, what does it tell you about the market that exists out there for entertainment like this that I think generally gets dismissed um, and by, you know, mainstream Hollywood that they think they're, you know, that you don't see a lot of productions like this. And it, you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. The crowdfunding story that we talked to Dallas about what, what do you, what's, what, what does it tell us about the market for entertainment like this? Well, I think people are hungry for this kind of entertainment, entertainment, but the difference is, and people should dismiss most of it. 
because most of it is terrible. Most Christian media is not made with a level of quality or craftsmanship that is comparable to what Hollywood does to approach their, the craft of storytelling and movie making. Uh, and why, why shouldn't we? Why don't we do that? What, what is the problem? What, like, how have we not sunk more resources into making sure that we get the best writers, get the best directors, the best actors to tell these stories? I mean, it's like you're, you're doing God a disservice when you're, you're doing any less than what is the absolute best when telling his story or even modern day versions of his story, whatever it is, if you are making films and TV shows in the faith-based field, you, you cannot sacrifice the media or medium for the message because the people will never get the message if the medium is unwatchable, you know, if it is terrible, if it is just, you know, if, if you send, if you're sending a check in an envelope that is, you know, was dipped in the gutter before you mailed it, nobody's going to open that check, that envelope, even if it has a million dollar check in it. It's like, they, they're not even going to, they don't want to know what's in it, even if it can change their lives, because it's just, it just looks terrible. It sounds terrible. Um, and, and, or it's preaching in a way that it few people feel judged they feel, you know, um, you know that their their lives are not worthy of what this, the message is in whatever the film is that they're watching. That says, "Hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen." And you know, so get it together. And and you know, most people don't they, they don't learn that way. They don't change by being condescended to or um, or uh, basically told how terrible they are or, you know, um, or some version of, of that mantra. So what we're trying to do is, is well, what we're doing in just simply telling this story about these people and that about this man who changed the world um, is something that I think so many people and especially critics have found refreshing. And they, they you know, there was, a, I think there was an article in the Atlantic um, which is not not necessarily where you would expect to find an article about the chosen saying this is this is a show that you're not watching and here's why you should watch it. And you know, I think it was a Christian reviewer that says, I I I'm a reviewer for this kind of material and I hate most of it. And this is why this is you need to be watching the show. So I think when we pay more attention to uh, improving the levels of quality with the stories that we're telling. Uh, and and take into account the the um, the savvy of today's audience, and especially the cynicism of the modern secular audience. We need to be able to tell stories in a way that appeal to everyone, not not just the people who are already on board. Because if we're trying to spread the name of Jesus to everyone on the planet, um, and there's people that don't want to hear it. Well, how are you going to get them to even want to sit down and watch the story? So you got to meet people where they're at. I think that's what Jesus did. Jonathan Rumi is an actor, director, producer, and speaker, and best known for his award-winning role as Jesus in the groundbreaking series and global sensation, The Chosen. Thank you so much for joining us today on Act in Line. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. God bless. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of. 
including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at acton.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Gabriel Zsa.